Welcome back to another episode of The Sweet Spot. This is John Sherman from Practical Golf. And as always, I'm joined by... Adam from Adam and Golf. So for a long time, I've been interested. I've been like searching for this type of professional golfer. I know we've had... We had Dylan Fratelli on last year, who's you know established PGA Tour player. Got some good stuff from him. It was interesting. But I've been searching for someone who's made his way through the mini tours, like kind of getting towards the big stage and we finally found them and thanks to the guys at tournament code great podcast you should check them out they introduced me to their buddy ashton van horn who is currently on the corn ferry tour ashton welcome to the sweet spot yeah thanks guys for having me i appreciate you taking time out of you practicing today you working i was out practice round today night playing a tournament the next three days so a little work this morning yep where are you playing Playing in Savannah, Georgia, Savannah uh, Harbor. Awesome golf course. Beautiful area. Yeah, I, yeah. I love Savannah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, where you've been and where you are, let people learn a little bit about what got you to the Corn Ferry Tour, because I'm sure it wasn't easy. Yeah, of course. Kind of a little bit of a late start to the game for me. Uh, for most guys at my level, started really getting into it at like 14 or 15. Played a lot of baseball growing up. So I didn't really have a ton of success, even at a state level in junior golf. Really enjoyed the game, really worked hard at it. Ended up getting to go play at Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee. Great program, great coach, great teammates. Uh, It was an awesome experience for me and and felt like I just got better every year. By the end of my time there, I knew that I wanted to pursue the game professionally. Yeah, it's been a long, long road to where I'm at now. I guess I turned pro in 2016, and last year was the first year on the Corn Ferry Tour. So it took me a long time to get to this point. It's a a lot of really good players. There's a lot of things that you have to learn, and it was no exception for me. It took a long time. Yeah, just stuck with it, and uh, now I'm full status for the Corn Ferry Tour next year. It's very exciting. The work doesn't stop. I'm, I'm out there every day still trying to make sure getting better all the time. So I'm looking at the official world golf rankings you're 681st that's pretty you know is that do you ever like stop and think about that like there's literally millions of people playing this game and you are the 681st best one out there like do you ever look at that and be like wow i did come pretty far yeah i think there's definitely if you you know big picture that's not too bad but it's also you know there's 680 guys better than me yeah now you got your sights on the better ones exactly so but no it's it's pretty cool to be be on there yeah I've become friendly with a lot of golfers who've gone through some mini tour stuff. And I've, I've been able to talk to some people on corn ferry and even somebody played on the PGA tour for a year or two. And, and the thing that strikes me the most that I think a lot of people don't understand is the money. I know people don't like to talk about money, but like your salary is on a computer screen as a pro athlete, you, everyone can see what you make, but what they don't see is the travel costs, the caddy costs, the practice rounds, your coaches. Like, Can you talk about what a toll it is financially playing mm-hmm. on the mini tours to even get to the Corn Ferry Tour? Like, What does that look like for you and all the other, the men and the women chasing it? At the mini tour level, it's tough because really, you know, the top two or three spots in every event are going to get a nice paycheck and then they're going to pay a third of the field is going to get their money back. And there's not a lot of opportunity to really make any money. And it's really hard just to even break even for the week or for, for the season. It's very challenging. You've got to have most everybody has some kind of financial backing, whether it's family, friends, investors, because it, you know it's just so hard. And I think it's one of the real tough parts about it is 
you get faced with a lot of tough decisions in terms of, am I going to take shortcuts? Am I going to really do this the right way? It's tough because you want to go, hey, I want to go play two practice rounds. I want to stay in a, a nice, comfortable hotel. I want to, maybe I take a caddy. And that would be in a perfect world what you would do every week. But those things all add up. That only, you know, adds to your expenses for the week. It's a very, like you said, you know, guys don't like, don't always like talking about it. It's a tough deal, I think. But it's definitely worth it if you're a player that feels like they have the game. I always looked at it as experience. The mini tours, you're not going to get rich there. You're just there for experience. You're there to get some some good reps against a lot of good players. And that's just kind of the way that I always looked at it. Can you give us a, if you don't mind, I, I remember I played a practice round once. I got into some low-level we have a Long Island Open on Long Island. So amateurs get mm-hmm. into it. Most of the pros there are teaching professionals. But okay. you get a few guys who are playing professionals, making their way through and trying to make some money. And I mm-hmm. remember I played a practice round with one of them. Great guy. And we were just like talking about Monday qualifying and stuff like that. And can you just break, take it just so people understand this. Like if you wanted to Monday qualify for a Corn Ferry event or PGA Tour event or you know whatever else... Mm-hmm. what are you investing at that point? Like, you, know, you got to fly caddies, like talk mm-hmm. us through it if you don't mind. I'm just, I, I, a lot of people don't know yeah. the answer to this and I want to hear you say it. Of course. Yeah. I mean, if you're a non-member, so non-Corn Ferry, non-PGA Tour member, you're paying, I think, $600 now to do a Corn Ferry qualifier or a PGA Tour Monday qualifier. I believe when I started playing, it was 450. It's up to 600 now. It's a big investment. And then you talk about it, probably two nights in a hotel, unless you're lucky enough to live close and you can commute. But you know, that's two nights in a hotel, food on the road, and that's just bare minimum. That's now you got to throw in practice round. A lot of times the courses are helpful with that. They're giving the players a pretty good deal there, but it's still going to be $40, $50. You know, now you got to think about, am I going to get a caddy? Caddy for a day might cost you two, $300. If you go for somebody who's got to travel, it might be a little bit more. So I'll let your viewers kind of do the math yeah, on that. No, yeah, it's a, yeah, it sounds like you... Yeah. I've already yeah. written it down, yeah. Adam's got his calculator and paper coming on. Yeah, no, that's what the guy told me. He's like, you know, if you're going to fly there, like you're talking like two, three grand sometimes just to... Yeah, then you're flying or you're driving. Gas is not cheap now. Yeah, it adds up really fast, yeah. Let's get all the money stuff out of the way. <laughs> no, <laughs> but the I, I, it's more the it's more the mindset. So, like, I'm thinking to myself, you're teeing off in. You know, fortunately, you don't have to Monday qualify this much this year, right? Because you have status. But I'm sure you've played in a number of these. Like, how do you mentally tee off knowing I'm in for a couple of grand? I probably got to shoot 63, 64 just to make it into this event. Mm-hmm. What is the mentality? unique because obviously you've done well at this like you're you're climbing the ranks you're getting better and you've you've made it to almost the big show at this point how do you deal with that mentally i'm sure people have different methods but i'm just curious how how you wrap your head around that yeah i think everybody's a little different but just what's worked for me is you know i'm just doing it to go out and see how well i can play get some really you know good repetitions under pressure a lot of pressure and that's super valuable if you go in there with the right attitude and just embrace it and say, hey, if it's my day, awesome. If not, I'm going to play, you know, the best I can and get the most out of it. I think that's just, you know, here everybody talks about the process. And I think it's such a result mindset for so many people looking at it like, oh, I got to shoot 65 today. And 
it's really hard to shoot 65, especially when you have to and when you put that pressure on yourself. So personally, I've never been a great Monday qualifier player, but I always I feel like I've gotten a lot out of the ones that I have done because I just have that mindset of I'm going to get better today and I'm going to see where I'm at, see where my game's at, just do my best. I think that just relieves that burden of it's all or nothing. Yeah. Well, it's funny how good mental golf or sports, whatever advice, all of it, it, it's always ends up being the same thing. Like you have to find a way to mm-hmm. not let that. Cause a lot of recreational golfers who listen to our show, like they're obviously they're not dealing with the pressure you are. This is, you know, you're trying to make a living here, but some people go out with the expectation of, Oh, I got to shoot 85 today or else this day is a failure or whatever number is mm-hmm. important to them. Mm-hmm. And I was like that for a long time. And, and the more you remove yourself from that, obviously you could play better, but at your level, I'm always just blown away just because like, I, I can't fathom what the pressure must be like. I mean, are you having fun? Like, I'm sure you, when you took up golf as a teenager, like it was fun and now it's your job. Is it different when you tee off? Is the enjoyment level different? Yeah, I certainly enjoy it, but it's more of enjoying the challenge, enjoying the journey of getting to where I want to be and becoming the best player I can be. It's it's not the fun that maybe your viewers have on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon with the boys. So like winning a $5 NASA on the back yeah, nine. <laughs> because it is a, you know, it's a game, but it is something that I've dedicated myself to. So there's that drive to be better. It's fun. It's in a challenging way. It's very fun. Yes. Awesome. Now, with guys going that low all the time, and you know that when you set out, you have to shoot a low number, how does that affect your strategy? Do you have strategies in place? Like, do you use Decade Golf that we know, Scott Scott Fawcett? I don't know if you mm-hmm. know his yeah. name. Because, you know, we talk a lot about how, at least in terms of the strokes gained, the mathematics mm-hmm. behind it, the safer strategies tend mm-hmm. to be better. Tends to be that, say, for example, you're better off with a 90-foot putt than you are a 20, 20 yard chip shot from the rough. I stole I knew, that from I Lee saw Stagner, that tweet too. Yeah, that was week. a good one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, yeah good, good memory for it. But we'll have Lou on next week so I, you can tell him that I stole that. But so, what's your strategy? Because this is, it must be really hard to match those two. The fact that you've got to go out there and make like six, eight birdies <laughs> around, yet at the same time, you know that safe strategy is probably the best option what's how do you go about it yeah i think you mentioned decade you know i think there's i'm always trying to make sure that i'm kind of in tune with that stuff and make sure that i'm thinking in that frame of mind i don't use any one method that consistently but i'm always making sure that my head is in the right space there that i am taking a practical view on things that i'm giving myself the best opportunities and maximizing my chances because like, like you said yeah anywhere on the greens better than chipping out of the heavy rough that's you know that's important stuff to know i think week in week out the more you do that the more successful you'll be but yeah when like you said when you got to go make six or eight birdies you know that's when you really learn a lot about your game you learn about how am i really going to do that it's going to come down to scoring with my wedges you know not let's get every tee ball in play let's par the tough holes Let's take advantage of the par fives. I think when you start to play as much as I do, a lot of that stuff is, I won't say common sense, but it's more ingrained in you. I've been playing almost every day for for 12 years. I mean, that kind of stuff, it begins to become second nature. Um, But I do, from time to time, make sure that I am still in touch with those things, that I'm not getting into any bad habits with my strategy. Yeah, We talk a lot about 
skills on this show and, and, you know, ability to strike the center of the face, control the face of the club and, and, you know, the stuff that, you know, you guys, I don't know if you work with Trackman or, or Launchmon or stuff that, you know, you're, you're keeping looking at at impact from when you started on the mini tours to now where you're playing corn Ferry is crazy competitive. You know, you're like inches away from the PGA tour. What have you noticed in your own game and others, like when you're on the range warming up, the difference of the the ball, the sound makes hitting the face. Like, what are you noticing? Like, what is the difference? Is it really razor thin? Is it like more mental stuff? Like guys not blowing up and going crazy? Or is it like, are you noticing, you know, the guys who are like stuck at that low level mini tour and not getting to the bigger show? Are you seeing things that, that progress or don't progress? There's certainly a difference. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to see. Sometimes it's not if you're at a a smaller event versus being at a PGA Tour event. I mean, when you see a PGA Tour player, you kind of know when you see them. They look different. They act different. It is what it is. But I've been lucky enough this past year, especially to play with a lot of world class players. And they just kind of they're very organized, I think is the word that always comes to mind. Very organized with everything they're doing with how they strike the ball, with how they practice, with their preparation, with how they're thinking about it mentally, with their emotional disposition towards the game. Everything is very organized. And the better the player, the more organized I'd say that they are. Every player has their strengths and weaknesses. Some players are more impressive tee to green. Some players are more impressive around the greens. Some players are so good mentally, better than, than others even at the PGA Tour level. Yeah, you can definitely see. I mean, that's a lot of the guys on the tour have been playing at, at the professional level for 10, 15 years. It's, you do that every day and you're going to just get a little bit better all the time. And, and that's where those guys are. So you're going to see a difference between them and the guys on the mini tours two or three years out of college for sure. What do you feel that you have to do to reach that next level? Is it going to be just a case of time or... Yeah, I mean, how how do you track your improvement? Even out of those two separate questions there, but they they tie in. I'm super fortunate now to have played a full season on Corn Ferry and to be fully exempt for next season. So I've gonna I'm gonna have a lot more ability now to evaluate my performance year over year. It's tough at the mini tour level. You're not playing the same events all the time. You're playing a lot of qualifiers. You don't get maybe as many great opportunities to evaluate your performance. So for me, I mean, it it comes down to high finishes and to just scoring average is how I really look at it. You know, I average, I think my stroke average was 70.3 last year. I think if I get it, you know, a half shot better, that's going to give me an opportunity to, to get to the PGA tour. So, and there's a lot that goes into that. Don't get me wrong. It's not as simple as being a half shot better. Um, but what what do you think about your game? Is like I looked at yeah I know Corn Ferry doesn't have shot length, so you can't get strokes gained. I, I see you hit it pretty far. You're averaging three fourteen off the tee, so you're obviously like you're not lacking for power. But if you had to pinpoint one part of your game that you look at, maybe some of the tour PGA Tour players you're seeing like I can't do that, or that needs to be sharper. Is there like have you isolated parts of your game or even skills within your game that you you think could be sharpened up? Yeah, certainly. I'd say probably. Probably three main areas that I was looking at from last year were driving accuracy. I feel like I have the potential to be a little bit more accurate off the tee, take away some of the bigger misses that I maybe had at times. I wanted to, this offseason, improve on my greens and regulation number. Again, I feel like I underperformed a little bit in that area last year. So I've invested in a launch monitor 
to get more feedback, you know, every day that I'm practicing. I think that alone will will help me a lot going into the next year. And then just wedge play, not so much around the greens. I'm fairly good around the greens, but just distance wedges from the fairway, trying to take advantage of those scorable par fours. I think the guys at this level are so, so consistently good from that 60 to 120 number. They're getting inside of that 15 foot circle really consistently. So I would say at my level, you know, you got to be always getting better at every, in every area, but those are three things that I kind of highlighted from last year going into next year to work on. Now in terms of, so just picking one of those, you said improve your greens in regulation. What's your strategy for that? For example, we're when I'm working with players, I'll often ask them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to get you to the PGA tour by the end of this episode. I promise it. you. Right. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we could help you a little bit. I don't know, maybe we can give you something to think about. But, you know, when I'm working with players, they'll say, well, I need to improve greens in regulation. I say, well, why are you missing greens? Are you missing them left, right? Are you missing them long, short? And then we might look at their stats and they say, well, I'm missing long and short. Then we can dig in deeper. Is it is it a strike issue? Is it a club selection issue? Is it like a misjudge of wind? Do you keep track of these things in your game? Well, I know there'll be obviously an unconscious mm-hmm. awareness of these patterns, but do you keep track of these things? Are you aware of what you need to improve specifically to improve that greens and regulation? Yeah, number? of course. And I like the the breakdown, the kind of process that you go through with your students there. I think that's spot on. You've got to kind of look at every phase and every aspect of those shots. Is it decision-making? Is it the strike? Is it a technical issue? Is it club selection? And, and that's kind of how I've looked at it. Probably the big thing that I noticed was maybe I wasn't as comfortable or as locked in with my distance control as I need to be at this level. And that maybe was giving me a little bit of doubt on a shot here or there, not knowing, hey, is this is this really the right club? Or do, can I take a little bit off of this? Or do I need to step on this? So I felt like I had a little bit more doubt maybe than some other players. For me personally, I just think the distance control is going to be the thing that that zeroes it all in for me. I would imagine that that would not necessarily be a strike issue. Like if you hit one short or long, I wouldn't foresee many of them being poor strikes, you know, fatting it or anything like that, but more of a a, a judgment of the conditions perhaps. Is that right? Yeah, well, um, you know, every player has a dispersion. I'm not hitting every shot exactly how I want to, but compared to the average player, it's it's a much tighter dispersion. That's always going to be part of the game. You're not going to hit every shot exactly how you want. More so just kind of knowing this kind of swing, this num you know, shot goes this distance. So yeah, more more of that. Well I imagine it must be I'm trying to get as much into your head as possible as I can. I mean I play in tournaments but not like you. But I'm just thinking like on those shots where you're not comfortable, like, are, are you in situations where you're like, do you leaderboard watch or no? I'm always fairly aware of it. I never look for more than a few seconds. Okay. I'm just like curious. Obviously, there's a certain amount of cuts you got to make a year and positions you have to make. So like, is there ever a point in a tournament like you're, you, know, you made the cut, you're in the third or fourth round, you're like, I need three or four more birdies here, something like that. And then you're looking at this target and you're saying, okay, I've got 176 and you're looking where the pin is and you're like... <laughs> Maybe I got to go a little bit more aggressive on this one. Like, do you, do you ever get into situations like that where the moment of that is entering the thought process rather than like, oh, that's a target no matter what. It's a good target. 
And that's where having a system really pays off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because (laughs) it's easy, maybe when you're feeling good, it's like, man, I should go right at this pin or I need a birdie, I should go right at this pin. Or when you're not playing so good, you maybe might even almost play. Some guys play more aggressively when they're not playing good. Some guys play (laughs) play even more conservative. But like I was mentioning, every club has a dispersion. And no matter how dialed in you are, you're firing with a shotgun. You're not firing with a rifle. So you've got to give yourself a chance to always have a good look at it. And and oftentimes firing at the pin, especially at my level, when most every pin is three or four off the edge, you can hit a quality shot aiming at the pin and miss the green by a yard. And now you're scrambling for par. That discipline, you know, day in, day out and having a system is super valuable because it just gets you trusting that this is where I need to aim. This gives me the best chance to make the best score regardless of the situation. Are you working with a swing instructor currently? I am. Yes. Yeah. I've got a few people that I listen to, but my main coach is Grover Justice in Lexington, Kentucky. So throughout this, like you're going to play a full season this year. How many events is that going to be on the Corn Ferry? I believe it's 26 events next year. Wow. And how many do you intend to play? As many as I can. I don't think I'll be able to play all 26. I felt like I played a little bit too much last year, being a conditional player, kind of being behind in points. So I anticipate between 22 and 24. That'll mean taking two to four events off, I'd say. So how often are you, when you're in season mode, and again, this I guess this could fluctuate based on your performance, but how often do you feel like you're going to your coach and being like, take a look at this, what are you seeing? Or are you just not engaging that part of your game unless you need to? Mm-hmm. I'm just curious how you work with your instructor throughout the year. Yeah, on off weeks, every week that I'm at home in Kentucky, we'll work at least once, oftentimes twice. I'm lucky enough, you know, Kentucky's a pretty central location for the Corn Ferry Tour. So was able to have Grover come to Knoxville and come to Columbus for two events and get some on-site work. Being that I went to Belmont University in, in Nashville, I was able to work with my college coach that week. So the occasional off week that we have, you know, I can go see him and then three or four events a year where he can come and watch me play. I mean, that's super valuable. And that's something I probably need to consider going forward. Do we make a financial decision to invest in bringing him out to an event? Because coaching is so important at any level, if you're a beginner golfer or trying to get to the PGA Tour. So that's definitely part of my decision-making all the time. Are you a technical player, would you say, or more of a field player? How do you guys work together in your coaching? I would say on the spectrum of we're more feel, just more fundamental setup, decision making. When you get to my level, you know, you're always working on things, but you got to get the ball in the hole and you got to go out there and play a swing that you trust. And it's hard to be too technical when you've got to go out there and, and play for your livelihood. So we keep it pretty simple. We have some kind of big picture things that we're always working on. I would say probably more on the feel side than technical for sure. What do you think about when you swing? I know that might evolve and change throughout the season, but you personally, as you stand Mm -hmm. over the ball, do you have specific thought patterns? Does it change from shot to shot? What what is it at the moment? Yeah, I think kind of changing week to week, month to month, but there's always some fundamental thoughts that I have. I'm a taller guy. I always focus on completing my golf swing. It's easy for me to maybe not make 
a full turn at times. So always trying to complete my golf swing, good balance, good tempo. I mean, just, you know, those things are timeless. No matter what your skill level, those things are really helpful. And then, you know, maybe I have one or two things in a week that I'm working on, maybe in a, in a practice swing or in a, you know, in a little thought before I get over the ball. But, you know, you try to keep it really simple, you know, get a feel in your head, focus on the shot you're hitting and just make a good pass at it. And what did you notice about those thoughts? Like, for example, like you had a pretty dramatic. So at the Boise Open, you finished second this year, right? Uh, Utah, I'm sorry, Utah, Utah Open. Yeah. And that, yeah. that pretty much secured your card for the next year, am I right? It is did, my, yeah. Is my research correct? That's correct. So that's a huge finish, second place in a big tournament on the Corn Ferry Tour. Coming down the stretch that day, I'm sure you had some of these thoughts in your head, like, where is this going? Did, did you notice things changing or did you stay pretty consistent with those types of thoughts you had? Like you said, that that was coming down the end of the season, and that was the biggest week of the year for me. I finished tied for second, and and that put me inside the top seventy-five, which is just such a huge step forward for me. That got me into the Court Ferry Finals events. That gets me fully exempt for next season. I talked about just going back my whole career. You know, going to a Monday qualifier. I felt like it was kind of the same thing that I've always focused on. It's it's one round right in front of me. Just go out and let's just have a good mindset, good process. Just play and try to get the most out of it. And if that's two under or if it's 10 under, we're going to go out and see what we've got. And yeah, I mean, there was a lot of pressure going into into that week. I felt good the whole time. I was playing well. And on that final day, yeah, I mean, it's what you want to play for. So yeah, it's a lot of pressure, but that's where you want to be. I always tell myself in those situations, you know, this is why I've done all the work. I didn't do all the work to get here and not be comfortable or not be confident. So those are kind of the two big thoughts that I had going into that final day. And, you know, those are going to be things that I continue to focus on because I had a a really awesome day and was able to have a great finish. How do you spend, I'm just curious about the day of, I think in between shots is where a lot of us struggle for for many reasons. (laughs) Yeah. And thinking to like, you're on the back nine there, you know what's at stake, you know where you are. Anything that chatting with your caddy or your playing partners, like how are you spending that time in between shots? I'm sure your mind probably was like, oh boy, this is pretty good. I got a good Mm -hmm. opportunity here. And then you had to get back to the present. Like how do you, uh, players deal with that in different ways? I'm just curious how, how you deal with that. You got, are you a big chatter out there or are you just kind of like go into your own zone? I'm pretty reserved on the golf course, but I, I definitely have noticed the, the opportunity in cutting it up and chatting with your caddy or the other players, because that can, that loosens you up. That gets you out of your own world. And so often players, we think that we have to be so locked in all the time. And oftentimes that's the last thing we, we need to do. We need to kind of remove ourselves for a few minutes and just, you know, walk up the fairway and just enjoy the walk. If you get too serious, if you get too locked in, sometimes it works against you for sure. When you said earlier, you're focusing on a good process could you define that a little bit more? Like what is a good process for you? If you were to say teach a mid handicap, are you talking about things that you do before the shot, talking about strategy, things like that? I mean, what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's having a good game plan, a good mindset going into the round. Here's what I want to focus on. Here's what I want to accomplish. Here's the things that I'm really committed to doing. And then, yeah, once you're out there on the course, it's about, 
truly being one shot at a time. And that means not getting ahead of yourself. And it also means moving on after every shot, being able to good shot or bad shot, evaluate what just happened and be able to make adjustments and learn on the go and and then truly put the club in the bag and move forward and be in a great frame of mind for the next shot. I mean, so many of my better rounds in my career have been where maybe I wasn't doing that well early on, or maybe I missed some some shots and it was, and maybe if I, if I get frustrated, I, I wouldn't have been able to go on and play really well. So just being able to kind of navigate and roll with the punches out there, I think it's not being too serious, but not being too relaxed. It's, it's just all encompassing, just making sure you're doing everything that you can to play your best. As an aside to our listeners, it, it's fascinating to hear this because at the level you're playing, stuff in golf, what you can do with a golf club, obviously, is just on a whole other world than like what a 10, 20 handicap is. But the things you're saying, what's fascinating to me about golf is that those can all be applied to golfers of all levels because, again, are people paying for their livelihoods like you are? No. But people get nervous, they get anxious, and and all the stuff you say like echoes what you know we've talked about on the show. Plenty of other people figure it out about this game is that there has to be some type of process. There has to be a way to move on to the next shot and be done with it. There has to be a way to find enjoyment and make sure you're you're having a good time in between shots. Like it's it's truly fascinating to me that the things you're saying to deal with golf at the most pressure you're applying these under harder conditions, but it does ring true to other, I'm sure you talk to this about other regular golfers you play with too, right? We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, like I have to, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And you can always support us by checking them out at linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. LinkedIn is not just another job board. It is a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. I know a ton of people who are using it for multiple reasons, and LinkedIn has absolutely exploded over the last few years. There's wonderful content on business ideas, but more importantly, it gives you access to professionals that you can't find anywhere else. Anyone who runs a small business knows that hiring is easy when you can get that quality candidate. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate from LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. LinkedIn knows that people like me and other small businesses like Adam or maybe you are wearing so many hats and you might not have the time or resources to hire. It's not like all of us can have our own HR department. That's why there are over 2.5 million small businesses using LinkedIn for hiring. If you want to give it a shot and post your job for free, go to linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot. That's linkedin.com forward slash sweet spot to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of this game. You know, the things that I was taught growing up learning the game as I became a really good player, those are the same things that are going to carry me now. It's easy to look at the guys on TV and look at all the amazing shots that they're hitting. And those are more just a product of countless hours of practice, not so much of them going out there and doing anything that special. Those guys have put the work in, put the hours in, and they've developed those skills. And they're just out there trying to 
but what I believe is they're just trying to go out there and, and do all the things that I'm saying and, and just stick with their game plan and, and, and their process. Yeah, that's what the 10 handicapper should do too. <laughs> and they're not going to go break par, but they'll get the best out of their game if they do that. I noticed that most of what you've talked about so far has been more on the playing aspect of it. And obviously, as you, as you are a player and yeah, this is so important for listeners to understand because so many golfers and I was there once as well think that the goal of golf is to get their swing to a certain position you know or to make their swing look a certain way rather than actually focusing on the skills of playing the game and I know obviously they are intertwined but even talking about the basics of that's applicable to all levels you know and on a technical aspect John and I talk about ground contact are you making contact with the ground in the right place you know not fat or thin that's something at your level you won't even be thinking about anymore really face contact so whether you're hitting the sweet spot rather than toe or heel so these are the biggest problems for amateur golfers and then face control you know is that face pointing more right or left to impact which is going to control the direction so we call those the three the big three in our philosophy And, you know, whether you're a complete beginner or a tall player like yourself, you are working on those things. No matter what you do, you're trying to influence those three things. So those are our big three, Ashton. And obviously, Mm -hmm. those are like universal golf things you have to satisfy to hit the ball well. At your level, I don't think it's the ground contact or the centeredness of strike that is separating the performance. Like my belief is like, what does it take golfers to get to the highest levels? I believe it's face control is like... You know, you talk about dispersion of shots and what's the difference between a PGA Tour player and a Corn Ferry Tour player. It's probably a few feet of proximity on, on certain approach shots and stuff like that. And what is that really? Is the face opened or closed a little bit more? Like, would you agree with that? Like at your level, like it's not, everyone's probably striking it the same on the face and they're hitting the ball first and taking a perfect divot and all that stuff. But it's it's that little open or close that is separating a lot of you, I believe. Love to hear your thoughts on that. I think. Maybe what Adam was getting at and John, like you were saying, even at my level, it is about those fundamental things. Just the the margins are much smaller. You guys might be working with a player and it's just trying to figure out how do we find the middle of the club face or how do we get that club face squared up or how do we keep the club out of the ground or, or get our, our low point a little bit more forward. Great players work on all those things also. It's just at a much more fine-tuned and much more exacting level. You know, I go out and I work and I, I'm trying to get that club face maybe two degrees left of the path. And maybe I, at the level I'm at now, maybe I have a one degree kind of margin of error, but maybe to get to where I want to be at the PJ Tour, maybe it, maybe it's a half a degree. So those are great things that you guys tell your students. And, and those are things that it looks different. And it's not a matter of chunking a nine iron short of the green or hitting the green, but it is a matter. You're not doing that. (laughs) Yeah, but it is very much, you know, what great players focus on. Those are the fundamentals of the game. And I think it's easy to look at a top player and, and think, oh, they don't worry about those things. But those are the fundamentals and the essentials of hitting a great golf shot. No matter how good you are, it's those things are very important. If I could follow up there really quickly, because you hit the ball pretty damn far. How do you feel like you strike your driver most of the time? Do you feel like you're catching it? What launch monitor are you using? Are you using TrackMan or a GC Quad? I've got a GC Quad. Okay. So are you measuring impact location with that using the stickers? I do sometimes. Uh, Generally, I use no stickers though. At your level, even in practice versus playing in, in a tour event, 
Do you feel like you're hitting it pretty close to the center on the driver the most of the time, or do you feel like you're healing it or towing it sometimes? Like, cause you're, what's your swing speed? Like one, you're probably close to 118, something like that. Yeah. 118, 120 on a good okay, one. So you're incredibly fast speed. How do you feel like your contact is most of the time? Yeah, I think contact's probably a lot of the studies show it's the number one predictor in the success of the shot. So it's, that's super important. I think when I'm playing my best, it's very good. And maybe when I'm not, it's not quite as good. You know, at this level, you know, we're in the middle of the face, almost every shot. You're not healing it a ton and getting that spinner left to right. <laughs> if you're doing that, it's more of a face control issue than for you. Yeah, that, that would probably be the result more of making a poor swing rather than yep. I just missed the middle of the face. Yeah. Because I think that's what people, you know, when someone swings a golf club at the speed you do and the precision you need to keep it in play to to, to score the way you do on, on tour is like mind blowing to me because I know I've played with people who like can swing that fast, but I could tell like they're towing it or healing it like crazy. Mm-hmm. And the ball just goes off the planet. Mm-hmm. When you're at your speed, if you can't control strike and face like it's it's gone Mm -hmm. so i'm always interested to hear from people like you who can control it i know you want to get better at it but Mm -hmm. just to be where you are it's obviously phenomenal but i don't think people give you guys as much credit as they should for swinging at that speed and and that centeredness of strike it's crazy to me Mm -hmm. so congratulations on that i think um if i might make a point i think the example i always think of is Dustin Johnson. And if you look at his ball speed numbers, generally it's between 177 and 180, which don't get me wrong, it's really, really fast. But anybody that looks at him physically knows that he has more in the tank. I see junior golfers, I see college golfers, you know, low-level pro players who don't have the same physical abilities trying to play at that speed. And I, and I always just use that example. It's like Dustin Johnson is one of the fittest, strongest guys in the game, and he swings it at 117, 118 club speed. So I think that's a big, a, a great lesson for for anybody at any skill level. He is very much playing at a controlled speed. I think a lot of those big misses come from trying to get too much out of it, and that's important at any level. I always laugh when the 17-year-old kid at the reins is is trying to get a 300 carry. It's like, that's, you know, are you going to do that on Sunday with the pressure on in front of a bunch of people on a tight hole? So that's just, that's one way that I look at driving the ball, uh, you know, off the tee. Are you doing a lot of physical stuff, working out? That's pretty fast swing speed. Are you, are you trying to get more? I mean, I'm I'm sure you're seeing guys coming on the corn ferry that they're getting up to one. Some of these guys are getting up to one thirty now. Like, do you feel that pressure to get faster? Are you working on that in the gym? I'm working very hard to make incremental improvements. I think if you try to do too much, that's just a recipe for disaster. I think everybody has, you know, a ceiling. You got guys like Brandon Matthews or Kyle Westmoreland. I mean, those guys are just different. They have club head speed that very few people on earth could touch and they can go out and, and play under control and, and really do it. I think you got to just know what your capabilities are. And I, and I feel like I have a pretty good idea of mine. I don't know that I'll ever be the longest driver on tour, but I feel like I could be say top 20. So I look at it through that lens. It's like, how do we get incrementally better? How do we really stay true to what's really possible for me? Speaking of incremental improvements, do you track any stats in practice at all obviously i I imagine you track 
stats on in play, but is there any are there any, any metrics you use to show that you're getting better in practice or is it more just feel based? I'm glad you asked me that because I've been I've been really wanting to I've been getting on myself because I want I want to start doing some more stuff like that. Some TrackMan has the combines or the performance center and the GC quad has some features like that as well. Just to, you know, stay sharp and to be able to monitor performance when you're not playing competitively. That's really important because even at our level, it's easy to go out and you kind of get lost on the range and you just start hitting shots and you just kind of you lose your focus and your purpose. So I'm glad you asked me that because that's going to motivate me to really make sure I'm doing that going forward. We love talking about practice. Adam's the practice, one of the experts in the field. So you got the right guy to maybe work with if you want. But when you show up, like you've got an event this week and let's say you got a couple of days to practice, like how much time are guys at your level spending? Are some guys going out for an hour or two on the range and then they go play a bunch? And then there's some guys who just love to grind it out on the range. What's your preference on that stuff and what do you try to work on? I think it varies player to player. Some guys do a little bit more, some guys not so much. And then there's some guys that like to do more or less on a tournament week. Some guys, when they're at home, they don't do as much. And then when we get get to the tournament, they really work hard. Other guys are kind of the opposite. I'll always be more on the hardworking side. I just really believe in that's the only way to get better is to go out there and do the work. I try to take a blue-collar approach. And for me, it's more about being efficient with the time that I'm putting in and making sure that I'm accomplishing specific goals and tasks when I'm out there. But yeah, it's different. You know, an off week at home is going to be structured a lot different than a tournament week. Tournament week is a whole lot more about conserving energy, being really, really efficient with your time. When I'm at home, you know, I've got a little bit more time and energy to go work on some more things and maybe make some improvements in my game, work on some more bigger picture stuff. So when you're trying to be efficient and get the most out of the limited time, what differently would you defer to versus if you had unlimited time? Like how do you, you know, cause a lot of people, I'm just curious to hear this because a lot of golfers, normal people that they, they've got, you know, an hour or 30 minutes here or there. So how do you make the time count? Yeah. I think just being really focused on, you know, what's the one or two things that are actually going to help me play better the next time I play, whether it's I've got a round later today or I just played and I've got a round tomorrow or it's after work, I've got some time here to get ready for my round on Saturday. What are, instead of just aimlessly going out and hitting shots, what's one or two shots, what's one or two clubs that I can work on and really, really dialed in and get focused on what can help me play better next time. I think and again, that will work for a 10 handicapper or a tour player. That's that's the approach that you know you should take. Let's go even deeper. Yeah. We're not letting you off there. Alignment, target, yeah. routine. Like take me through how engaged you are. Like let's say you're hitting some seven irons, pitching wedges. I've watched some tour players practice. I see them, they go through a whole routine. They obviously have the target. They're like grinding on alignment. They hit the shot. They go look at the track man for a little while, absorb it. 60 seconds later, they go back and hit. What's like your process? Like, are you trying to go through your full routine? Take us through like the granular steps of hitting those shots, if you could. Yeah, I think to break it down as basic as possible, I mean, you, know, you got to look at your setup, your posture setup, you know, ball position. Those things are, are super critical. And those are always things when if I have a limited amount of time, those are things I'm checking because those things directly impact your performance. Am I hitting my numbers, my 
passed and face numbers am i hitting my carry numbers things like that being efficient like the tour player is going to hit less shots and get more out of it and the not so good player is going to hit more shots and not get as much out of it one thing i've noticed that kind of I don't know if it shocked me, but I've always noticed pro golfers grinding so much on like things like alignment and ball position, as you mentioned. And you would think someone who plays like six days a week and who's like a really good player wouldn't even think about that stuff. They just know it, you know, it's there. But you obviously don't take little things like that for granted when you're hitting balls on the range. Like you're making sure that you've got your target and you're aligned to it and the ball position's the same every time. And you're and you're measuring that in some way. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that we keep I think at least I'm realizing just with these questions is it's just at a, at a finer and more elevated level. It's all the same, the same thing you guys are teaching your students. Well, the normal golfer doesn't think twice about it is what I'm saying. They show up to the range. They're just, they're just hitting the ball. There's, there's no intent with target. They're not absorbing any kind of feedback. They're not aligning themselves. The ball position's changing all the time. So I would not agree with that. I think most golfers fail at that. And we're we're trying to push them in this direction. So that's why I'm I'm asking. We know the better players, like as players get better, like intuitively they're figuring this out. But we're trying to help some people along here with some good habits. But I just want people to know at your level that this is something you don't take for granted. It seems like it's an overlooked fundamental, but someone's like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. I'm a 10 handicap now, but it's like, oh, this dude's like trying to, you know, he's top thousand in the world and he's still doing it. That's what I'm trying to get out of you here. No, good point. I think your <laughs> students might not be doing it. It's what you're telling them, but they're not paying attention. So yeah, yeah it's like I, that I little think, discipline yeah. and attention to detail goes a long way. Maybe you go back and tell them, say, hey, this, this guy, he's, He's an all right player, and that's what he's focusing on. <laughs> that was the first thing I, you know, I played nine holes this morning and went back to the range. You know, absolute first thing I'm doing is putting my putting my sticks down, making sure I've got a good area, making sure let's get the fundamentals right. Let's not beat ourselves here. We want to get better. Let's get ourselves in the best situation, best opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think that just becomes second nature. I think with your students, if if they truly want to get better, they'll really dedicate themselves to that now in terms of expectations so most people listening to this might have 30 minutes a week at best probably two or three hours a week of practice i mean even i don't practice that much but for you how much are you doing per day of practice or or even even per week to put a bigger number on it are you doing 10 hours a week you doing three hours a week of actual ball beating on the range and short game, not including your your actual rounds of golf, would you say? So the last month I've been down in Florida and it's been a pretty solid, steady weekly routine for me. It's been Monday through Friday. Monday's a practice day, about probably four, four and a half hours, really focused, really disciplined practice. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are, are playing days. I play in the morning. And then it'll be probably an hour and a half to two hours of practice after that. And then Friday is is a bit like Monday, probably three to four hours, maybe a little bit more depending on how the week went. So Saturday morning is then kind of a toss up depending on the week and Saturday afternoon, Sunday are off. So it's different than a nine to five. You, you legitimately cannot go out there and and hit balls and grind eight hours every day. I really wish I could because I could get really good. But 
you just, your body just can't handle it. It's just a little bit, you, you just don't see. Everybody hears the Tiger Woods stories when he turned pro and that guy was different. VJ saying, Singh, you know yeah. it. VJ's still doing it. He's crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's the man. I think, you know, some guys are able to do that. Physically, mentally, they're just a little bit different, but that's that's not what most of the great players that I see are doing. They're more sticking to a more moderate schedule and just making sure they get the most out of it. But they're probably still doing about three hours a day, right? Three oh, hours a day yeah. is, is like minimum, minimum yes. right? <laughs> yeah. On top of yeah. playing as well. And how much gym time typically a week? I kind of have a three days a week is explosive, heavy day lifting. Those are about three 90-minute sessions. And then I'm in there almost every other day doing you know some warm-up type movement prep, cool down, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of mobility, a little bit of cardio here and there. To me, that's just something that I, you know, enjoy doing that I'm, you know, pretty dedicated to. That's a a pretty daily thing for me. Do you have a trainer you work with? I do. I work with Mark Donardo in in Lexington. He's really helped me a lot. Right now, being in the off season, we're trying to get a little bit stronger, trying to put a little bit of weight on for the season. Once the season starts, it's just about, you know, maintaining and staying healthy and keeping your your mobility and your flexibility where you want it to be. But now I've been doing a little bit more strength training. So for listeners at home, you're doing maybe 20 hours a week of actual ball beating on top of playing almost every single day, on top of training to physically. Do you do any psychology work as well? Or is that just more with your coach on a more general basis? I think that's kind of built in. I don't do too much psychology on its own, but I have done a lot of work for psychologists. It's, it's really helped. And those are things that I just try to apply to every day when I'm out there. I have a random question. Maybe it's changing pace a little bit, but I have a, I always take issue with PGA tour broadcasts because I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, one of our goals is to always manage golfers expectations. And I think what happens is, is we watch a version of golf on TV that, you know, it's edited. They're showing the better shots. They're showing mm-hmm. the 20-foot putts going in. And they're not showing, you know, there's always guys every week. If you look at the bottom of the leaderboard, Corn Ferry, PJ Tour, there's guys putting up 78s, 81s, like 76s. Like there's some dudes like really struggling. What do you see out there when someone's like really stinking it up? Like what kind of bad, even you, like when you got a day and it's just like, oh, this is, nothing's working. Like what does it look like? Like how bad can it get even at your level? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Sorry to bring that up. I don't want to put you in a night. Just talk about other people. Don't talk about you. What have you other seen? Other people, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Give us some war stories. And you don't have to name them. <laughs> Give us an example of something where you saw like a corn fairy tour player just hit some shots where you're like, oh my God. <laughs> oh man, I, pro- I think I blocked it all out. I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think I saved well, that in in the memory. There's a lesson in that for amateurs yeah. as well. So I mean, yeah, exactly. You're not you're not, you're so not focused on them, you're blocking them out. That's great. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it it happens and and it might not, you know, doesn't happen too often, but you play with a guy and they just, you know, it gets going the wrong way. It's, you know, golf's a tough game. You know, I played with a guy um guy this summer and he was playing he's playing so good. I think he was in the, he was in the top 10 making the turn on Friday. And he shoots 41 on the back nine and misses the cut. It was just shocking. It was like how he was playing so great. And just a couple shots went the wrong way. He got a little bit frustrated. And all of a sudden, he bogeys the last two for 41, misses the cut. 
you know, it happens at, even at our level. I, you know, I shot a few big numbers this year. It can happen. It's a tough game. You're out there every day. Uh, everybody has bad days. How do you deal with, I think one of the things I struggled with when I started playing tournaments was not reacting to what other golfers in my group were doing. So if you play enough competitively, you're just going to run into someone who you know has a 10 on a hole or just loses their mind and like they're becoming a distraction to the group in one way or another. And I'm sure at your level, that's a challenge. So like if you have a guy who's maybe losing it, getting angry, is that something you've had to learn to deal with? Is just like, all right, I need to let just look in the other direction. Like, how do you deal with that? For sure. Yeah. In general, at this level, guys are great. You know, guys will have a tough day and they stay out of the way. But every once in a while, you get a guy who isn't as self-aware or isn't as courteous and it can be a distraction. I'm sure on the mini tours, this happened a lot more than the, the corn fairy, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, you're going to you're gonna see that maybe a little bit more on the mini tours. It never really bothered me that much because it's almost, hey, I'm doing better than that guy. He's, you know, he's blowing it up. <laughs> it's almost, it's, it's, a, there's a relief factor to it. Or it's just a reminder, hey, don't act like that. Don't do that. You never want to play with somebody who's struggling, but it's, it doesn't, you know, he flip it into a positive. Yeah. What were your highest and lowest scores this year? Because I know a lot of amateurs, they talk about how they want to be consistent. So, you know, what's the difference between your highest and lowest this year? I believe my lowest was a 64. I think I shot that a couple of times. And then I might have had a 77 or 78 later in the season. So I guess what, that's 14 shots with a stroke average of 70. So those are both kind of pretty standard bell curve there. Some days it's easy, some days it's really tough. Like when you miss a cut, I mean, obviously it's going to happen. Like how do you, you know, you don't just miss a cut and like go walk home and be like, oh, that wasn't a great day. Like you're, you're, you're getting in the car, you're going to the airport. How does that process, like you're, you're going through the weekend, you're seeing the tournament, how do you deal with that mentally? Because I, I assume that cannot be easy. It's always frustrating. You know, you go in every week thinking you can play really well. I think that's just kind of like a, you know, a lot of things in golf are like life and it's how you handle adversity, how you handle coming up short that kind of defines you. And it's, it's so easy to be frustrated, but how you handle it can really, you know, you can learn from it. You can move forward. You can Maybe you go get a step ahead for next week. Maybe you learn something really important about your game. I think it's so easy to trunk slam and to be frustrated. And all of a sudden it's the next tournament and you're, you didn't let it go and you didn't learn from it what you could have, or you didn't, you didn't, you know, you didn't maintain a good attitude. So it's part of the game. There's 156 guys, you know, they're all super, super capable. It's not always going to go your way. So being able to maintain a good, perspective, good attitude, learn one or two things and then, and then move forward, you know, same as you would on a bad shot out on the course, you got to be able to move forward. That's a super important thing in life and in golf. Man, your head is screwed on so straight. How old are you? 28? 28. Yeah. Damn. I love it. No, this is great. I'm happy for people to hear this. Just again, like again, you know, you're, we know what you're trying to do, but everyone can, apply little inklings of this to their own game because golf drives people like you said i was saying like you know you have a bad round on a friday we go home to our families kids whatever and we go on with our day and like to you it's it's gonna hit home a little bit harder because that's your job and that's a truly awesome thing to hear like how you try and that's the growth mindset as they say i love it there you go growth mindset exactly 
So a lot of our listeners who may be in single-figure handicaps, they, they might be listening to this thinking, well, I can do that. Maybe I could be a, a tall pro. So it's just interesting. If you were to go around your local dog track, and I don't know how often you do this, but you know, maybe a 6,500-yard course or something like that, and you had to play it for a year, what do you think your scoring average would be around something like, you know, a par 72? Yeah, 6,500 yards, par 72. I mean, you know. Yeah, like a very neutral yeah. par rating. Like, yeah, as neutral as you can get. You're going six, seven deep quite easily. Yeah, I think most guys at this levels, you know, their handicaps are anywhere from plus six to plus eight. You know, that's going to be, we're averaging 70 Better players at this level level are averaging sixty eight and a half on championship setups. So you know you got to think that's two to three shots better, maybe on you know on a more benign setup. The number I always hear, and maybe you can confirm or deny this or your opinion, is that you have to be a plus four or a plus five to just even think about playing pro golf at any level, like just to even like entertain the thought. Yeah. Do you you agree with that? I think that's probably a pretty good rule of thumb there. Yeah. Especially with you guys, you're playing different courses each week Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, you're not having that local knowledge as well. There's got to be at least one, two shots around that you might lose or at least one shot around that you'd lose from, you know, just not understanding that, oh, I can't hit it in that area or this Mm -hmm. part of the green doesn't work. So, yeah, it's highlighting it or eye-opening for listeners at home and for myself do as you, well. Do you, sure. <laughs> you know, when I shoot that four-under <laughs> on my local track, I'm, uh, I'm like, oh, maybe I, maybe I got a chance. Still a lot left in me. Yeah. Do you feel like now that you're going to have another go-round on the Corn Ferry and you've seen the courses, like you like your chances of getting that top 25 this year because now it's not unfamiliar courses to you? Yeah, I think I have a big leg up on last year. Just the experience that I've gained and and just, you know, being more comfortable with the landscape and the golf courses and, you know, the, just the level of play, I think that's going to be so valuable for me. I've got high aspirations and high expectations for myself. I'm super excited to go out next year and, and see what I can do. Yeah. If things go well, where, what do you think your potential is in, in pro golf? If you actualize like your expectations and your dreams, so to speak, like where do you see yourself in a few years? Paying attention to some of the other guys who have come up through the ranks, been where I've been made the jump to the PGA Tour. I know what they've gone through to get there and, and the work they've put in and, and the steps they've taken. And, and I see myself being able to take those same steps and keep progressing. It's, it's Nothing's ever easy in this game. And you know to get to the pinnacle of any profession is incredibly challenging and demanding. But you know if I go out and, and keep doing the work and keep having, you know, keep trusting my coaches and keep the right perspective, you know, somebody's going to accomplish those things. So that's, if somebody's going to do it, why couldn't it be me? So that that's just the way that I look at it. I'm not a huge goal person. When you ask me, you know, where do you see yourself? I, I just see myself three years closer to being the best player I can be. Like I said, I think if I, if I just follow the, keep, you know, follow the track that I've seen other people take, I think that's going to put me in a really good spot. Another awesome answer. I love this guy. <laughs> well, we don't want to take up too much of your time. I don't want to be a hindrance to these eventual goals. Adam, do you, do you have any more burning questions for Ashton before we wrap up here? I don't. He's he's answered everything I've wanted. And I think you picked the right guess because he's talked a lot about everything that we've talked about in the podcast as well. So thank you for confirming <laughs> our beliefs as well, Ashton. 
Yeah, no, yeah, it's 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 wonderful to hear a lot of these these are universal concepts and they're they're applied at different levels of course with different expectations, but I genuinely appreciate your time. Now I'm going to be rooting for you personally and watching you. Well, Hopefully you. a lot of our listeners will. Well, who are you sponsored by? Let's give a shout out to your sponsors. Yeah, uh, who's who's supporting? Who's yeah, supporting uh, you? Cleveland Strixon. Just uh phenomenal equipment manufacturers. They've been so good to me through the years. Before I've been able to to get to this level, just super lucky to to have those guys. Some of the best equipment in the game. So couldn't have done it without those guys. That's awesome. That's good to have support like that. Can anyone, are you big on social? Do you chronicle your journey? Can anyone follow you along the way? Or you just kind of keep it, keep it quiet? What's your, what's your deal online? Yeah, I'm not the most sharing of people, but <laughs> but I, I am on Instagram, Ashton Van Horn. I don't share too much, like I said, but you know, maybe going forward I will. But yeah. Well, we appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Maybe we can have you on. Let's have you on maybe if you want to come back after the season is over, which is a long time from now, but it would be cool to hear what happened, how you reacted, and, and if anything changed. And hopefully you got that nice little top 25 card they give you. Yeah, I'd, we'll I'd love watching. to come back for sure. Let's do it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Appreciate you tuning in every time we put one of these things out there. And we will see you with a new episode next time.